All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with Mark Metry, who is on Amazon Prime's TV docu-series, The Social Movement, Season 2, attempting to solve some of the world's biggest problems. He also hosts the Global Top 100 podcast called Humans 2.0, which was featured by Forbes, NASDAQ, Yahoo Finance as the top 21 growing podcast you must listen to in 2019. Mark's show has been listened to over 10 million times and features the greatest leaders of our time exploring today's dynamic of the human experience in modern technological times. And most recently, Mr. Metry can include best-selling author to his bio with his first book, Screw Being Shy, How to Eliminate Social Anxiety, which is currently exploding on Amazon. If you haven't caught the first episode, we did jam on the show about a year ago. It's episode 68. So make sure to check that out. And Mark, welcome to the show again. Dude, thanks for having me on. It's been a year since then. It's crazy. It was May of uh, yeah last year. Well, I mean, I, I already thought that I didn't I didn't have a perception of time before this, but now with the whole Corona quarantine thing, I've completely lost. I don't even know what time is. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting. It's well, I mean, so on that topic, actually, the first question I wanted to ask you, um, just given it has been about 12 months, uh, I mean, mind you, we've been, we've been in touch since then, but I'm curious, just you as a person, there's been so many things that have happened, um, you know, in, in your life in terms of the work that you're working on. But how have you, like, if I asked you, who are you? How have you evolved over the last 12 months? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the last I'm month. Like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm just like, literally like every month is just like flashing before my eyes. And literally every month, honestly, feels like it's been a year. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know, but some things that pop off the top of my head are, um, uh, I'm so sorry, man. This is, this is setting my brain for a doozy right now. (laughs) That's good. I think probably the biggest thing is that, um, the biggest thing is that in like last year, towards the end of last year, um, or towards like the second half of the year, I, um, I remember I was in LA and, uh, I was speaking at an event, uh, and the previous day I was trying to sleep in my hotel room and, uh, I, you know, I, I used to struggle a lot with sleep, uh, like as a kid and as a teenager, but as mm. I've, you know, grown older, I've, you know, really done a lot of research documentation, experimentation with sleep, and it's not really a problem for me anymore, but I was really struggling with it that night because I kept on having this idea pop in my head that was screw being shy, screw being shy, screw being shy. And the real thing was like, whenever I went to these speaking events or when somebody heard my story on like a podcast, I think probably the number one genuine question that I would get asked would be from somebody who uh, would kind of put you know, put themselves in the bucket of maybe being a little bit too introverted or being super shy or maybe even having social anxiety because that's a massive part of my story. And they walk up to me and they say, you know, how did you go from this person to that person in terms of communicating to other people? And so that was probably the number one thing. And I've, you know, been experimenting with that. I've been talking to all sorts of people 
on my podcast from clinical psychologists to neuroscientists to entrepreneurs all about this issue. And honestly, I realized that, you know, there's a lot of books written out there for like networking tips or, um, you know, uh, and there are even books written for people who have social anxiety or are super shy by like clinical psychologists. But I had honestly yet to find a book that kind of got the full picture, kind of addressed the root cause, and then just showed some practical uh, science-based things that somebody could do. And so literally like that's, that's been a major part of what's been in my head for, um, for like, I don't think it's been a full year. It's been a little bit less than that. And so I finally just launched this book because, um, it's uh, super important. And then in terms of like why I think I actually went through with this is, um, aside from there not really being any books about it that are written in a very simple way to understand, um, I think other the other biggest thing is I just began to to, to look at sort of society's uh, mainstream solutions for um, for mental health, and it's usually like you know if it gets that bad and your mental health is deteriorating, you know you can call the suicide hotline or you go see a doctor or a therapist. Yeah. And those are all great, but I started to think like you know it, it's hard enough for the average person that might go through these issues to talk to somebody about their mental health because there is like a massive stigma uh, and shame and guilt behind it. But for people who have social anxiety, it's like that times 10,000. And so I kind of saw like, I think there's a, a, a huge percentage of people who are taking their own life because of sort of this issue, social anxiety that can seem pretty harmless on the outside. Like I remember for me when I was growing up, I was just called the shy kid, the quiet kid that just sat in the back of the classroom. Uh, But when you actually look at it, um, like, for example, like the American Association of Anxiety and Depression reports that social anxiety is the most common form of an anxiety condition in America, at least. And Mm. it's also out of all the conditions, the most correlated with uh, substance abuse and social isolation. And both of those are correlated with suicide. And so I was kind of taking a look at what was going on in the world and looking at my life and how I almost, you know, went through that route myself. And I was just like, wow, there's nobody really connecting these dots. There's nobody really talking about this. Most of the world sort of doesn't even understand, you know, what the definition of an introvert means or what it means to be shy, or is that the same as having social anxiety? And so, you know, being the person that I am, I was just like, I got to, I, I have to write this book. Cause honestly, like I could have, I could have written a book that would have, um, I don't know, like I could have written a book on podcasting or like branding or something. And that probably yeah. would have made me way more money. But to me, this was just a problem that was not really being dealt with. And now I can give this book to anybody who walks up to me and asks me how I did it. Cause it's not like I can tell somebody who actually really uh, suffers from, kind of this prison in their own mind where every social situation, every time you, you, you know, everywhere you go and, you know, social anxiety is not the same as, you know, being shy to ask a girl to the prom. Like that's totally normal. Sure. But social anxiety is any social situation you walk into, your brain is immediately telling you to not talk to people. Your brain is seeing, uh, 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 you know, a, a two people in the corner of the party or of the room that accidentally make eye contact with you. And then your brain is like, wow, they're probably talking crap about me and they're judging me and they're mocking me. 
And so that eventually um, leaks into every area of your life to where it begins to destroy your, your self-esteem, um, your, your confidence, which then, you know, has a, can, you know, impact on your social life, on your relationships, on your work. And then a lot of people end up kind of falling down this rabbit hole um, accidentally. But yet society says that, you know, the, the, the person who's sitting alone at the library or at the cafeteria, they're doing that because he or she is an introvert and they like their solitude. And that, and that definitely could be um, a possibility. But the other sort of invisible side to this is there are people who are sitting alone, but they could actually be very social, but they yeah. have social anxiety and their brain is, is not letting them do that. And so I lived through that for 10 years of my life. And when I got out of it, obviously it wasn't overnight, it was literally like my entire, like every single thing in my entire life changed. And it ultimately led me to doing this. And so I know this kind of seems like a big pitch for the book, but this is the first thing that came into my mind. Sure, sure. And, um, and you know, I really wanted to write this book because um, I want to give this to people who face the same problem that I did and, you know, have them almost like unlock themselves yeah, uh, and actually access their potential because I didn't really see this, um, you know, a problem or solution being, uh, you know, done the way that I sort of have, have experimented with and have actually looked at the science and the data and actually realized that there is a very clear, like solution for people who went through what I, or are going through um, what a lot of people around the world go through, but they just can't talk about it. Totally. Well, and, and don't worry about a, a pitch for the book. I mean, this is exactly why I wanted to have you back on is to talk about this topic, given how, how relevant it is, uh, visibly or invisibly. I'm, I'm glad you brought those points up because it, a lot of those points hit home for me as well. And especially when it comes to talking about this from from the perspective of, you know, being in the prison of your own mind. Like that's so powerful. Mm. I'm curious, Mark. Just, I mean, obviously knowing you a bit, I know there there was a bit of that breakout moment where you really shifted things in your life. Uh, huge component of that was um, the nutrition that and the fuel you're putting in your body. But like just going through the process, did are, are you like in and out of it? Because I, I, here's where I'm going with this. It's like you start the podcast, right? You're obviously, you're speaking with, um, you know, wildly successful and very influential people, which in itself is is almost against what you were living before. But then, you know, things keep evolving. Now you're speaking and you're on a book tour, like, it, it keeps going. So I'm curious, do you oscillate in between, you know, going back into feeling those feelings of, of being shy or having that social anxiety, or you have the necessary tools to really keep it at uh, control, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, um, and, you know, I'm honestly a believer of, uh, you know, the kind of this idea that Mark Manson talks about, and it's basically like, you're never going to 100% eliminate your problems. And yeah. the best way I could use to describe that is like social anxiety previous in my life had a 99% uh, death grip on literally controlling my every move, my every thought. Now it's probably more like one, two, three, four percent from okay. 99. And so that being said, you know, for sure, uh, if I'm about to interview somebody, um, who, um, who I really admire, or I'm about to like go for a speaking engagement or something like that, 
there's definitely a part of my brain that uh, that kind of not necessarily freaks out, but there's definitely a part of my brain that let's say is heightened and maybe is uh, exacerbated. But what I've normal though, right? Wait, I'm sorry. Say that again. That's normal though, right? Like I'd imagine it, or is it different from like regular nerves? I guess. No, no, I think no. Now I'm at a level where I guess it's just regular nerves. But the real thing with this mark is like, if this was totally eliminated, life would suck because it's that Hmm. same energy that I have learned to transmute and to make me a killer interviewer or a killer speaker. And honestly, like to be honest with you, the speaking the speaking events that I go to where I'm like 110% confident and I feel no nerves. Honestly, I feel like I don't do as well when I actually speak. And so I really think it's a yeah. part of, um, you know, once you've been taking the, the right steps at a fundamental level where it doesn't have that much power over you, then I really think the, the, the problem is about framing and your perspective and, and how you've sort of used to uh, change that energy. And so, um, and so yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful for it now, but um, it, it's always still... Uh, gonna be there to a one, two, three percent degree, and and you know I think this is a super important question too because you know whether it's uh, whether it's this problem or someone else is listening and they have another problem. I remember for me when I was starting off on my self development journey, and I began to do all these things from journaling to meditating to eating healthy to really trying to rewire my brain and my mindset and and kind of do all these things that we talk about. I remember there would still. Um, you know, there there would still be a part of me where I wasn't, you know, on a uh, a one hundred percent growth stretch every single day, and I would sort of look at maybe that one, two, three, four, five percent that I was talking about, and that in and of itself would put my brain in a feedback loop where it would maybe go up to ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent, because then you start to get shame and guilt around these things of like, oh, why am I why am I still feeling anxious? Oh, like why aren't I super motivated in every second? Oh, like why don't I have this energy? And so I've just learned that when you look at life that way, and I fell into this mistake on my self-development journey, it it becomes um um, it can become a little bit um, burdening and 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 even toxic. But if you just sure. kind of realize that, hey, you're a human, uh, nobody's perfect. Even people who, whether they're presidents or prime ministers or people that have best-selling books around the world, they still go through these issues every single day. And I think a lot of us that kind of get started on this path might end up unconsciously building this false expectation that things are supposed to be awesome now. And because you're on this road, you're supposed to be happy 100% of the time. And the truth is, is that's just never going to be true. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think what happens too, especially for people that are are on this self-development journey and have various practices in their lives that, that are working for them. I mean, you start seeing, you start seeing the narrative way more clear and, and more frequently. So Whereas, whereas in the past, right? Like I know for, even for myself, like that would just, I'd be on autopilot and that would just kind of roll through right. and then it compounds and then it eventually bursts in some sort of way. Right. So now you, you, you see it more clearly, uh, and have the tools to okay, pause, kind of zoom out a little bit and, and make a decision versus just jumping into like a reaction mode or, you know, bringing up emotions that, that really aren't going to serve you. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing that I've learned. So um, when I 
when I sort of look at when I look at psychology and I look at sort of the the human story, which is usually this. I mean, a, a large part of what controls our behavior and uh, what has put us on this journey has to do with our psychological trauma, which is usually, usually something that happened to you at an early age where your nervous system really didn't know how to adapt to that and fix that. And so yeah. as a result, our our ego, the part of our brain that's responsible for our survival, creates a defense mechanism, creates a survival mechanism to get us to survive. And probably the biggest thing that I've learned is that our brain's number one job is not to keep us happy. It's to help us survive. And so the brain will create a story. It'll create a mask, a suit of armor to protect you. And so for me, in my story, that just so happened to be social anxiety. Like I grew up in uh, a super small town um, with 5,000 people post 9-11 in America, and I'm Egyptian, where there was no racial diversity in this place and everybody mm. looked the same. And I got hit with a ton of uh, pretty extreme racism and abuse. Uh, and so that was the conditions that enabled my ego to kind of go into this survival mechanism. And I've learned that because of that, when you're in there, you don't really feel the high highs and the low lows. You're yeah, just you sort of out. like in this middle, numbing sort of middle ground that um, that is equivalent to like your heart flatlining and you don't face those ups and downs. But if once you sort of, you know, what we're talking about, once you sort of begin to take the right steps and, you know, the journey is never done for anybody, it's always continuous, then you start to peel off that armor. Then you start to take off that mask. And when you do that, you know, there's there's pros and, and cons to that. You know, in my opinion, the pros far, far exceed the cons or having to, you know, go back to living in, in sort of survival mode, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned. And so, um, and then also like for me is like, you know, again, like my, my past life, it's not like it was all terrible. You know, there were a lot of great things that happened, but I, I honestly never felt like I kind of felt my emotions. I never felt like I actually helped, uh, sort of, sort of felt happy in my earlier life. And so when I actually began to face that, <laughs> actually yeah. begin to feel success and happiness, it's a very unfamiliar feeling if you haven't been used to it. And then it, once you sort of get in it and you start getting hit by it, then you notice the contrast of it. And the matter of the fact is, is there's no way you can be 100% happy all the time unless you're like doing hardcore drugs or like trying to hop into all these addictive behaviors mm -hmm. um, impulsively. And so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. For people listening, Mark, that may be sitting back right now thinking like, oh, I really like I really resonate with some of the points you're making. I wonder if I'm in this bucket and like what's what are some of the questions that people can ask themselves to identify like where they're at right now when it comes to social anxiety or just being shy in general? Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, first and foremost, um, when you look at the psychology definition of what it means to be an introvert, it's defined as somebody who predominantly, like the way their brain works, it has a sort of a natural tendency to focus more on the internal world, which is like your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and you get energy from that. And so that, you know, nowhere in that definition says, are you nervous or yeah. gonna freak out if somebody talks to you? And so um, you can be, an introvert who 
likes their solitude, likes spending time in the quiet, and that there's nothing wrong with that. And then when it comes to shyness, I mean, shyness is a is also a totally natural uh, emotion. It's completely natural. But you know, you know, it's okay to be shy if you're going to ask a girl out to prom. Uh, you know, it's okay to yeah. be shy if you're, you know, maybe doing something new for the first time or you're in a new environment. That's totally okay. But you know, really, what happens is, and this can actually be hard to identify. But usually, what happens is somebody who is sort of born introverted and um, maybe has a tendency to be a little bit shy they're more susceptible to becoming socially anxious. And the big thing to realize here is social anxiety is not random. Like it happens to you for a very specific reason. Like I took a, but when I was like 10, 11, my brain, or my life took a sharp right into social anxiety. And it goes back to sort of what I said of having that, um, that psychological trauma. But the really mm-hmm. interesting part about this, Mark, is I don't know if you can relate to this, but if you ask like the 18 year old version of myself, uh, like, like if he listened to this conversation, he would have no idea. And, and like, I always thought for the longest time that nothing ever happened to me and I didn't really have a story. And that's because the brain will purposely forget, um, a lot of these things to, to sort of create a story like around that. Like, for example, like if I, um, you know, like when I was growing up with social anxiety and let's say I, I like talk to somebody for like 15 seconds. And you could say that's a victory. My brain would purposely forget that to create the identity and character that I'm like this terrible sort of locked in person in, in a bubble. And so, um, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a major part to understand. And so um, you definitely have to realize that social anxiety is not random. It's, of course, it's natural, but it, you know, it, it, it has to be triggered by something. Um, when you look at sort of the official sources, they say, um, like moving to a different school or, or a different uh, place can, can trigger this for some people. It could be your parents splitting up. It could be bullying. Um, it, could be, it could be a wide variety of things, but usually this happens. The onset of social anxiety happens usually around 10, 11, uh, but it can also happen to adults as well. Mm. And so that's probably number one. And, um, and, and like the big part about this, Mark, is like, I didn't even know I had social anxiety. I had no idea. And so while this was happening, um, I just thought that I was just born flawed. I just thought that I was like, there was just something inherently wrong with me. Like I just couldn't talk to people. And the real time when I realized this, because getting conscious awareness is always the first step. The first time when I actually realized this was the first time when I was 18, I went to my first college party. And I drank alcohol and I got drunk for the first time ever in my life. And when I was drunk, all of a sudden I could, I could walk up to whoever and um, hmm. chat with them and talk to them and say whatever I wanted. And I remember the next day, literally just like freaking out because that was the first time where I realized like that my behavior was like naturally this way and it didn't let me talk to people. Previously up to that moment, I had no idea. And so like I talk about this in the book, but like, the, the human mind is the worst prison to be locked into because you don't know where the jail cell starts and ends. And so, um, you know, sort of like the, the first part that I walk people through in my book, like after the, the sort of root cause of our psychological trauma, a major part of it is just like understanding the neuroscience, like how sort of the science behind people's thinking, how our brains sort of work, because 
you know, what I've learned is that, you know, scientists estimate there are anywhere from 60 to 300 of what we call cognitive biases and distortions. And these are essentially backdoors and shortcuts that our brain has created through tens of thousands of years hmm. of evolution that help us survive. And they can ultimately be distilled down into a handful of problems that are, are you know, are related to um, we have to find information fast. Um, we have to take that information and then take action on it as soon as possible. All these things are related to survival. And like the best way I can describe this to somebody is um, a cognitive, a cognitive bias is like a shortcut the same way that like, you know, if you want to copy and paste something on your computer, you have the option of, you know, hovering over the text, right clicking and then hitting copy and then going to a document and then right clicking and then hitting paste. Or you could just hit control C and control V. And so our brain has all these little shortcuts like control C and control V. But the matter of the fact is, is they could be wrong depending mm. on what the information and the level of awareness that our brain has. And if you have other like health issues, for example, this can also uh, distort it as well. And so this is really sort of the, uh, the, the prison that, um, that our body is locked into. And, uh, and then a good way to kind of look at these two is to sort of look at cycles. And so if you're in a constant pattern, you can't really see the pattern. And like there's, there's like this analogy of uh, two goldfish swimming in a fishbowl. And one goldfish says to the other, hey, you know, what do you think of the, the temperature of the water today? And the other goldfish says, wait, what's water? And so goldfish are constantly surrounded and swimming by this invisible thing called water that's yeah. all around them. But yet if a goldfish tries to like go above water, it can't because the water limits it. And so a major part that I walk people through is literally just like understanding the science behind this stuff. Because I remember for me, whenever I'd walk into a room, I wasn't actually aware of sort of the quote unquote voice in my head. And it's not like I had, um, you know, schizophrenia or anything like that. But it's just the fact that we all have this we, this dialogue. We all have this internalized script that is running based on our ego's character identity of the past information and awareness that we know. This is this is why the reason. This is half of the reason. Excuse me, I should say why people kill themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not because they are terrible people. It's not because they want to do something terrible. It's because based on the information they know they genuinely think that this is the next best solution. And yeah. so I went through this. And so, you know, there's other factors to it too. Like if, you're, if your brain is inflamed, if your brain is not producing and regulating properly the amount of neurotransmitters, for example, your brain is going to be completely sort of like whacked off. And the big thing to realize here is this is all connected. And like, I remember for me when I was growing up, and like the exact time where I kind of fell into this uh, socially anxious cage, at the same exact time, I also began to start going to the doctor for other physical health issues that, I mean, in America, at least I see a lot of kids have like asthma, ADD, issues with my gastrointestinal system, my appendix, sleep, my bladder. And so all of these things are sort of connected. And so I think you have to look at it from an objective basis and sort of look uh, past what's going on the hood and not sort of believe the the main script 
that's going on in your head. But that can be much, that's much harder um, done than, than said. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's many different ways that you can begin to, to look at this, but those are some of the, the big ideas. It's interesting because as you're speaking, what's running through my head is like, first of all, this can relate to a lot. I think a lot of people in a lot of circumstances or things that people are struggling with uh, outside of social anxiety as well is like you get stuck in, I I guess you're normal essentially, or like the fishbowl analogy, right? So then is it, from your perspective, is it just better to, because if you can't see that, right, then something has to break the the story and usually that's a big event of some sort i guess in your case like other health issues started to come up versus i you know maybe a preventative or an approach to catch it even earlier would just be to flat out help people start working on uh, self-awareness type practices or bringing in just health in general because then i feel like you'd start unpacking or start seeing okay, there's something off here and, and you start digging into it versus just going, oh yeah, I've got social anxiety. I need to work on that. It doesn't seem like that's the reality, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, sort of everyone's journey is, um, is uh, everyone's journey is, uh, is, is different. Yeah. And some people find out and some people, I mean, it's so interesting because I was actually on this podcast the other day. This was actually a pretty big podcast like top 100 in the world. And um, we were talking about this and the, and the host tells me in the podcast, she's like, Hey, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, you know, my brother actually committed suicide and he had social anxiety. Hmm. And so some people may never figure this out at all. Yeah. And so whether it's through like just sharing other people's stories, whether it's through dropping people in experiences, whether that's sort of like unplanned, kind of like the way that mine happened, whether it was that, um, that college party, or it was my rock bottom of me almost killing myself. Um, and then I think there's other things that people can do too. Like, I think for me, a, a big thing that I look at now that slowly began to shift the dominoes was, I remember when I graduated high school, you know, I only had a, a few friends. And I remember like some of my, like these friends, they sort of got their friends together and then their friends got their friends together and then we kind of had like this, um, this sort of like graduation party on our own, and um, and uh, and everyone kind of like went around the room and stood up and like kind of said something, and so like this was me in the group of some people that I was really good friends with, some people that I didn't know, and um, and there was definitely a part of me that was freaking out, but um, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was because my family was there, so I kind of felt like I had a sense of confidence. Um, but I remember just standing up and yeah, I was super nervous, but I remember like, you know, saying some things and I remember like, and, and, and like the thing is, is I'm, I'm a pretty funny guy, (laughs) um, but I, you know, I never really had a chance to express that. And so I was just like dropping a ton of jokes, um, during this and people were laughing. And so I, I had like this experience of kind of like standing up. This was not like a school assignment. This was not like anything work with this is just me my friends and family and me just making people laugh and i remember after that it wasn't like an immediate shift but i remember i just sort of felt happy and so i think that was that that was an experience that um sort of like gave the you know my brain sort of the unconscious permission or at least like the initial signal of like hey mark if you if you open your mouth you're not going to die because people with social anxiety 
essentially what happens is their mind and body get in this feedback loop where even if that person doesn't have any socially anxious thoughts, but their body, which is the unconscious mind, uh, begins the pattern of what it's like to, to be anxious of tapping your legs, of your heartbeat racing, of your throat clenching, of your palms and, and maybe armpits sweating, then that might cause your brain to be socially anxious. And it works in both ways. And so um, social anxiety can be a real sort of uh, feedback loop that people don't know how to escape. And that's why it's so dangerous. But if you can maybe have an experience where it can just sort of bring you to a, a glimpse of that, uh, then uh, then I think you can begin to sort of understand that um, that level of awareness too. And so um, yeah, and so yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm glad. I mean, it's a very sort of complex, yet sort of simple issue. But um, but that's also like you know why I'm doing everything that I'm doing in my life, whether it's uh, having a business or, or being on an Amazon Prime documentary series that's about reinventing the education system. I think all these things are are connected, and I'm I'm sort of I'm looking forward to sort of you know, sort of giving my take and kind of having a, um, a hand in these changes based on my perspective for the people that um, kind of go through this issue. Like I remember when I was growing up, I, I had so many teachers that would literally make fun of me in front of the entire class because I wouldn't talk. And like, that's just a big, big, big no. Yeah. That's a major part of what makes the problem worse. Um, and so like, it's just, you know, if we can start to get this out there to people, then I think uh, we can slowly b- bring about the change. And then the more people like me and like a lot of other people that say like, yeah, I used to be like the most socially anxious person, but now it's like some, some famous guy or gal. Uh, I think that's a major part of it too. Because like literally everybody who meets me, and they hear my story, they're like, there's, there's literally no way that mm-hmm. I can imagine being like a super uh, shy, socially anxious person. And like, yeah. the truth is, is, that's not who I am. Like, I, yeah, I might, I'm definitely an introvert for sure. Uh, but I'm definitely very, very social. And so it's just about sort of removing a lot of these sort of unconscious shackles that uh, were placed on us by kids due to survival reasons that our world hasn't really not the fact that they didn't know this stuff but our world hasn't really prepared for like our our education system our our, everything that we're taught as kids is all about um do this so you can pass and get good grades and then get a job so you can have a family and and afford to live but it's not really teaching people like you know hey here's how to handle your emotions hey here's what mental health is i mean it's i mean dude it's hilarious i literally i was on somebody's podcast that literally didn't believe me they didn't think that mental health was a real thing and they live in some place in like southern united states it's a very big stereotype but i mean a lot of these things are are still alive and and well and unfortunately um it takes a major issue for people to sort of wake up or it takes like their mom all of a sudden getting a mental health issue for them to actually realize that, no, this is a, this is a real thing. And like, for yeah. example, with what's going on today with um, the whole coronavirus, you know, I, and I'm, and we're recording this as of April 8th, you know, I think that, you know, obviously what's going on with the virus is, is terrible and I hope more people don't die, but I definitely think that the indirect impact of in regards to mental health of the coronavirus is going to far, far exceed the number of deaths that the coronavirus itself has directly 
um, contributed to. And so yeah. I think um, I think that's going to be a major part of the issue. And I think, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I hope we don't have another crisis. But I mean, if we weren't going to if we weren't in a mental health crisis already, I think one's definitely going to happen uh, during slash after um, this crisis. And so um, and so I think it really just I mean, it takes human history and, and evolutions for us to go through these patterns to be able to realize because, you know, a big thing that I've learned is that why would you care about somebody's mental health if, you know, you live in a World War II world where literally governments uh, of countries are dropping bombs on civilian cities? Like, that's just a non-issue. We didn't really value human mm-hmm. life. Then, like, the way that we sort of idealize it and uh, and think about sort of human history in a sort of a fantasy way, it's just not the truth. And so I think as human evolution progresses, we are sort of closing in on a lot of issues that have always been there, but we just didn't see because now, you know, I mean, at least, at least from what I know, we don't really have like widespread slavery. You know, we don't have a bubonic plague, even though we had this pandemic, I hope it doesn't get there. And so I think these issues are just helping us sort of get more um, focused in and, um, and whether it's through a crisis that activates it, but eventually we find a solution or we find some way to manage it. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I agree with you. I mean, it's especially with what's going on with the coronavirus, like it's hard not to see the global reset taking place. Right. I mean, we're obviously right now, literally in a, in a survival state in many ways, but there's a lot of questions I think that are on people's minds personally, right? Like what really matters and what do I really want to be doing with my life? So I I think as we get through this and things start calming down in terms of cases and deaths and and all of that, there's going to be another whole wave of people really questioning, you know, their purpose, their life, like what they're doing, which to your point, um, I mean, I hope will be good, but also will lead to right. some emotion that, you know, people probably haven't processed, right? So I think now more than ever, anyone in this line of work, like we've got to all be there and, and help people navigate those waters and process that emotion um, for them individually. But then as a collective, we, I mean, we all win when, when people are healthy. So totally, totally agree. Hey, it's Mark. Just want to take a few seconds to first thank you for listening and offer a free one-on-one 30-minute virtual mental fitness coaching session with me. Okay, so what's the catch? It's literally three minutes of your time to provide a review of the show. They are so important. So the first three people to screenshot the review and DM me or tag behind the human on Instagram will get a message back from me to set up a time for a session. Thank you so much. And back to the show. Um, I want to be conscious of your time, Mark. So I'm going to, I'm going to start wrapping a bit, but one, one thing I wanted to get, you know, if there is one kind of non-negotiable in your life right now that helps with, um, you know, social anxiety or, or I think just keeping your mind clear and healthy. Like what's, what's the one thing that without question you're always doing? Yeah. And funny enough is I was actually thinking about this beforehand. Cause I remembered like, Oh yeah. Last time he asked me, what was my non-negotiable? And I'm pretty sure I said <laughs> meditation. And I was yeah. thinking about today, the fact that I haven't really exercised, uh, but I did meditate. And so, um, okay. and so I'm I, actually, I don't even think that's going to be my answer anymore. I, I think I've changed it, but, um, but to really quickly just go back to what you've been saying. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing now is that personally for me, of course, a lot of us are asking these questions, but a lot of us that are asking these questions that are ordinary people, whether they are doctors, whether they work for the government, they work in the government, whether they're CEOs of corporations, I think they're all asking themselves the same questions. And what I'm looking really looking forward to is maybe this is just the optimist inside of me. I really think that our systems are really going to change because I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, people are doing a great job. I'm not trying to knack on the system, but I think a lot of us are beginning to realize a lot of these systems that we sort of view in, in society that have stood for something, whether it's the healthcare system or whether it's the government, a lot of it is just filled with sort of just high school games of people trying to one up each other, people sort of operating at the lowest levels of humanity for greed and of ego. And when a real problem comes along, the entire system crumbles. And so I live in America. This is what we're seeing now. And and I mean, there's a lot of great governments that are doing great jobs out there for sure. But, um, but I, I'm most looking forward to seeing that change because I really do believe that the way that we're going to see these outer systems change is by individuals that work within these organizations either be you know affected by some kind of a crisis and sort of wake up themselves and it's when an individual has that waking up that then they try to change things on the outside and so I'm 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 very very much looking forward to the future of the world for sure yeah um I agree but when it comes to sort of a, a non-negotiable so this is this is the biggest thing so um so I think a, a major part of what I had to learn uh, for me was the fact that, you know, fear is not a, it's not a real thing. And obviously it is a real thing for sure, but fear is essentially different biochemicals being secreted by your brain and other sort of hormones, other neurotransmitters firing in a certain way to get you to feel a certain thing. And I know for me, the time where I really understood that, like the real, uh, like the real biochemistry of what's going on, and then more specifically, like if you look at a lot of mental health issues, specifically social anxiety, there's often a uh, a key player that's talked about, and that's a neurotransmitter called serotonin. And whether that you're in the mental health community or you're in like the leadership community, a lot of people talk about this because serotonin regulates things from your mood to your sleep to your functioning in social groups. And so this is extremely, extremely important for people who have social anxiety. But, you know, the last 20 years of, uh, of the scientific community, they really assume that because serotonin is a neurotransmitter, it's, it's mostly got to be in your brain. And it turns out that's, uh, that's only partly true. It turns out um, 5 10% of serotonin is in your brain, 90, 95% is in your gut microbiome, which is an ecosystem of bacteria between your stomach and intestines that process all of your food first and then hand it off to your human body that do all sorts of functions and have a real active process in everything that our human body does. And so they found that the two main ways that that gut microbiome can be disrupted is one sort of what we talked about before, which is uh, psychological trauma, which puts your nervous system in a chronic state of stress. And that chronic state of stress completely destroys and disrupts your gut microbiome. Number two is your dietary choices. And so hmm. I wish somebody could have taken the 12-year-old mark and would have been like, hey, you know, if you're facing anxiety, 
but all you're doing is eating, um, you know, potato chips and Oreos and fried chicken fingers and French fries and ice cream. Yeah, you're going to have terrible mental health. That's just the truth of it. And, and if someone out there is doing that and they have, let's say, great mental health, I mean, you know, good luck to you. Everyone should do what they want. But I think eventually you might come to a breaking point. And that breaking point might be when you're like 70 years old and it might be a lot harder to change a lot of your neurochemistry and what's been going on for like the last 70 years. And so I wish somebody sort of told me that because I think our, our society has a completely oversimplistic uh, definition of, of or understanding of food of like, you know, if you eat too much food, you're just going to gain weight. Um, but I think a lot of us, or, or it's, or it's, uh, or it's like an overly simplistic diet approach where it's like, Hey, don't eat animals because all animals are bad. You could say the same thing and flip it over and say, you know, plants, there are some plants that are bad. There are some animals that are bad that we shouldn't eat depending on the person. And so I think we need to take a look at it from a real sort of, um, understanding of how this stuff affects our brain, because a lot of scientists now are saying that, the gut microbiome is our is our second brain. You know, the this these bacteria have been around way longer than us humans, and so there's a lot of it. And I actually talked to um, this guy named uh, Dave Asprey, founder of Bulletproof and Bulletproof Coffee, and he I don't know if you know him, but the way yeah. that he breaks it down is, is super interesting. He actually says that part of our consciousness is our bacteria, and that's responsible for every time that we're hungry, every time we go into fear, every time that we uh, get you know, extreme sexual urges because our organism wants to spread as fast as possible. And so uh, you know, part of our consciousness is like the, the, like the light abundant side of what we think of humans. Um, and then the other side of that is, is a real sort of primitive bacterial level consciousness that really controls uh, our behavior and especially controls our behavior if things are not going well, you know, the subsection in my book that I talked to that I talk about this is called first my gut broke and then my brain broke. Yeah. And I talk about literally the only time in my life where I was seriously depressed and I was suicidal was when I uh, was trying to uh, deal with my emotions and my pain with food. And I gained like 70, 75 pounds in literally a couple months. And next thing I know, I'm like obese for the first time ever. And now is the time where a lot of this happened. And so oftentimes it may not be the the sort of root cause, but it is a an accelerant to making these things go much faster. Like it's it's super interesting. Actually the um the like the Department of Justice, uh this this doesn't actually have to do with your gut microbiome, but it, it hints towards really taking care of this stuff. The Department of Justice did a study where they took uh, military veterans who had killed themselves, who had committed suicide, and they found that those who did commit suicide compared to a normal deceased person had an uh, extreme deficiency in these things called uh, omega-3 essential fatty acids. And these are uh, a, a chemical compound that our body and brain can't really produce on its own, and you have to uh, eat it from hmm. um, from 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 your diet. It's usually from from fish and and some other things, but fish is the main one. Uh, and they showed that 
people who did commit suicide, they had a deficiency in this. And they showed that if you don't consume omega-3 essential fatty acids, your, your chance of your risk of suicide goes up by 63%. And so it's like, wow. there are so many studies done that, that literally show what, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of societies and a lot of traditions, a lot of religions before us have, um, have sort of been doing, whether it was because they didn't have access to a ton of artificially processed foods, whether it was because they just ate from the environment and our environment and our brain formed a feedback loop and messing that feedback loop up with something as important of what every single person listening to this does every single day, which is eat. Uh, that can have detrimental effects that can range depending on the the person to person. Like it's it's crazy. I mean, I don't I don't know what it's like in Canada, but like in the European Union, for example, there are 500 uh, ingredients that are banned from food manufacturers and companies from putting in their food. But yet, if you go to America, those are in every single grocery store. Yeah, that's that. literally like what little kids are eating at school. So it's like, you you really think about this. And I think a major part of like this major rise of mental health is largely being exacerbated, you know, by, by food. And so totally. uh, I think that's a major aspect that we have to look into. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad that's your non-negotiable because I feel, especially right now, um, in the weird times that we're, we're living, you know, it, it's easier to jump on like unhealthy habits and stock up. I find it really interesting that, you know, grocery stores are being cleaned out basically from the inside out, which is like everything in the inside aisle, uh, aisles of the grocery stores are usually not the healthiest and loaded full of chemicals. So, um, you know, being conscious of your diet now and and forever, it, it's hard to argue. Like, I mean, you can argue there's yeah. so many, you know, there's so much science around, you know, meat, not meat, vegetables, right. this, that, but you can't art like, I, like just, let's just get simple and, and to the point about putting chemicals in your body, like that can't be good. Right. Yeah. So even if you start no. there, <laughs> and yeah. you're being a little yeah. bit more mindful of what's, what, what you're fueling your body with, um, it could have a world of a difference. So then you, then you embark down that journey and, and I a thousand percent agree with you and doing things like our yeah. mutual friend, uh, uh, over at Viome, like just testing your gut and yeah. all of that. hundred percent. There's, so there's a lot. Yeah. It's so important, man. And, and the big thing to realize is that there is no such thing as universal, a uh, healthy diet. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I think that being said, like for, for all we know, there are some people who might work better, on like a keto diet, some people might work better on a high carb diet. Some people might work better on a plant based diet. Some people might work better on a carnivore diet. And so I think you really have to um, look at it from that perspective. But the one real fad diet, when you actually look at it, is is the diet that literally just popped up over the last fifty years, and that's the you know American standard, highly yeah. industrialized diet, which is people eating. Um, you know, 11 servings of refined carbohydrates a day combined with a ton of other um, like just sugars Sugar, and yeah. industrialized oils, canola oil, all these things, all these things kind of go in. And, and it's like, you know, if you're like, like Prince EA talks about this, it's like if you or have been giving a, if you've been given a Ferrari, if you've been given a Lamborghini, and that's really what the human body is. Like when you stop and think and realize that 
our brain is performing literally billions of operations a second to keep us alive and healthy right now, we have been given the greatest gift. But if you're, you know, trying to fuel that up with Oreos and a ton of crap, like it doesn't matter about the car anymore. The car is eventually going to break down and not work. And it doesn't even have to do with the car. And so that yeah. is a major part of the message too, because I feel like a lot of us in um, like the self-improvement industry, entrepreneurship, I feel like a lot of people are, are, are so overly focused on things like mindset, but they don't really understand that your mindset is your mind and your mind is housed in a physical organ called your brain. And that requires certain requirements based on evolution and biology that have been here for thousands of years. And it doesn't really matter how many books you read or how many podcasts you listen to if you're not doing sort of the, the basic physical things that are at the bottom of, of, of Maslow's hierarchy. And so that's a major, major part of, of why I'm talking about this more. Because the more and more I talk about this, the more I realize people have a much, um, much more sort of narrow or myopic view of like, oh, you know, um, I'm just not going to drink alcohol, but they're doing like a ton of other things like sugar literally metabolizes the same exact way in your body as alcohol. Or they say, oh, I'm not going to eat any meat, but then they're eating like a ton of processed foods that don't even, that destroy their health. Yeah. And so uh, I think we definitely need to talk about this more because um, this is uh, just like everything. It's a, it's a moving target and it's different for each person, but it totally. has so much of an effect on every area of our life. Sounds like we need a part three, Mr. Metry. <laughs> Uh, right. I mean, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I encourage everyone listening, please. Uh, I'll put this on the show notes, obviously, but pick up Mark's book, follow him on LinkedIn and the socials. Uh, you're, you're a real champion of daily content that actually gets you to stop and pause and think a little bit and take some action. So I really want to thank and commend you for that. And I'll just leave everyone with one prompt. I mean, maybe today, tomorrow, you know, something like, what do I want to fuel my body with today? How do I want to feel today? after eating you know just being a little bit of mind a little bit more mindful what you, what you're putting into your body well thank you sir yeah thank you so much for having me on man it's uh it's been a great time and look forward to part three <laughs>